The Start On Demand. On demand. The Norwood Pool is on the brink of closure. We'll hear from the city councillor in that area, as well as the Winnipeg woman who is spearheading the passionate effort to keep the pool alive. Donald Trump is set to deliver his State of the Union. What is he going to say? Loren got to hang out with one of the biggest stars in the world on Monday night, while Monday afternoon, I got to hang out with one of the most magnificent stars in the world for I Love to Read Month. And is this year's Super Bowl halftime show Nipplegate 2.0? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, February 5th podcast for The Start. We start this half hour, Greg, with another community pool under fire. Yeah, last September, Winnipeg City Council's Community Services and Parks Committee voted to delay action on the future of Norwood Pool, which was previously slated to close due to its age and damage. Instead, the latest report asked Council to budget $150,000 this year to demolish the aging pool. Several options were explored to try and save the pool, but city staff deemed none of them to be feasible. The staff report estimates it would cost between $30,000 and $50,000 to keep repairing the pool's concrete every year, while further repairs would be needed on its surrounding structures. A local group says the fight to save their neighborhood swimming pool isn't over yet. $150,000, which is the cost they would be willing to spend to close this pool forever, that same amount of money would keep this pool open for five years. So we're saying... It's a no-brainer for us. St. Boniface Councillor Matt Allard had this to say. For me as the area rep, as a member of the community, um, I think we all love the pool. It's a very, very tough situation, and I wish I didn't have to deal with it. Council's Protection, Community Services and Parks Committee is also slated to debate the pool report tomorrow. City Councilor Matt Allard joins us now by telephone. And Monique Lacoste, who is spearheading efforts to save the pool, joins us in studio. And first, we'll say hello to you, Monique. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Oh, I got to, I had the wrong microphone on. Sorry about that. Good morning. And there we go. And Matt Allard, Councilor, joins us over the phone. Matt, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. I just want to brag for a moment. I am walking to work, and so I'm one less car on the road this morning. And it is beautiful, uh, beautiful day to walk when you're moving. Well, we've got we've got some complaints from drivers about the ruts out there and what the city's going to do to get the streets cleaned up in time for this next. So, so, so you might be happier walking this morning, Matt. But uh, we do we do want to start with you because uh, the question and, and we just played that last clip. What, what do you mean when you wish this issue wasn't on your plate? Well, I mean it's it's a it's a terrible situation. I I never would have wanted to be faced with a situation like this one, but. We have we have a neighborhood pool. Uh, it breaks every year, so it's broken again. It's broken again today. Uh, community members and I toured the pool in the fall, and we could see the water gushing out of the ground right out of the pool. Uh, we, you could see where the where the where the breaking was happening again. And you know, the city only has one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year to maintain its outdoor aquatic facilities. We have over a hundred of them. Right now, the Norwood Pool is accounting for about 25 to 40% of the total budget for the entire city. Uh, St. Boniface has 
uh, three other pools and, uh, and an indoor aquatic city facility with uh, Bonnet Hotel pool. So part of the report being debated tomorrow is, um, you know, if the status quo is maintained without a, without a significant budget increase uh, pegged to the Norwood pool specifically, it could put all of those facilities at risk. Monique, uh, you're shaking your head in disagreement here. Well, let's go back to the fact that the pool is not broken. This is a fully functional pool that, yes, has water ground issues uh, that are perhaps a little more important than in other areas. But the water table issue is from the the pretty well the U.S. border all the way to the Paw in Manitoba. So this is not a unique problem to Norwood. Uh, water was not gushing in. I was on the floor of that pool as well. Seepage, you could see wet spots. Uh, that's what we could see. There, that's a very big difference. Uh, and, and basically, the same kind of maintenance that's required on the pool in Norwood is done in other outdoor pools like Kildonan, like, well, all of them, frankly. Every spring, it needs to be painted and patched. Currently, obviously, patching may be a little more significant in some areas of a Norwood pool as the water table is an issue, but it is essentially the same simple process time and again that meets the provincial requirements. The pool has not been closed because of repair uh, issues or because it was broken. So the city is proposing to demolish, to erase from the landscape, a well-loved, well-used pool that is fully functional. Can you appreciate the argument at all, though, Monique, that the, that the cash isn't there and that the, there's a concern that it puts other projects at risk? Because I think, you know, I, I, I hear you when you say that there's, it's a well-loved community pool, but there are other communities that have their own issues with their infrastructure. And so how do you choose one over the other? Sure. I think it's easy. $150,000 uh, is being asked for, for. This could be put back into the pool, the aquatic, aquatic facility uh, operating budget. It would pretty well double it. We were told by city staff that I believe in the past year that um, budget was cut by half. And that's why the percentage of the Norwood pool costs is increased by the fact that the budget has shrunk significantly. The overall budget is The changed. overall budget. Can we get uh, Councillor Allard in on that? Is that the case, Councillor? Well, if, if that is the case, that's new information. I, I haven't heard that before. And uh, I mean... Uh, the reality doesn't change. Thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year to repair this pool every spring. We have a huge portfolio of aqua- outdoor aquatic facilities. As the area councillor, in a perfect world, I would love to. I would love to to patch this up every year. But you know, we have to make tough decisions in a in a tight fiscal environment where our recreation dollars are precious, and we need to make uh, strategic investments where it makes sense. And, uh, you know, I want to thank Monique and, uh, and the group of volunteers who have worked so hard since May when I announced I believe the pool was broken and can be fixed. And uh, after nine meetings, I was hopeful that there would be a permanent fix identified, a permanent capital fix that didn't have operating implications. But unfortunately, that's still not the case today. Well, what I can say to that is that... Uh there is truly a bureaucratic bias against finding a solution. We worked with integrity. We worked collaboratively with some very well-meaning people who I'm sure don't get up in the morning with the intention of closing a pool. But there are options on the table like a dewatering well. Uh, like uh, and, and these were just kind of 
talked about and said, oh, we looked at that once upon a time. It was going to cost $600,000. These have not been firmly explored. The other fact is that the city is in the middle of a strategic review of its recreation and parks policy. How can you close a pool when you say you're in the middle of devising a 25-year strategy that will guide it uh, for the next generations? So what you're saying is perhaps we've already seen what that strategy is by closing Norwood Pool, and maybe your pool is next. Uh, Councillor Allard, one of our text messengers, one of our listeners says, how long is Happy Land Pool uh, viable for? And so are we in a situation perhaps where Norwood Pool closes this year, Happy Land closes in three or four years? Do, do we know the, the health of, of that facility and the future of that facility? Well, my understanding is the, the situation in the Norwood Pool is unique. Uh, we had the engineering firm Stantec analyze the water table in the Norwood Flood Bowl. There's actually years where the water table goes above the pool deck. Now, you don't see it because there's, there's earth and, uh, and, and pool there. But uh, in terms of a fix, and Monique mentioned uh, dewatering de- wells, all of those potential solutions have significant operating implications. And uh, right now, we, we need to be very strategic about our infrastructure dollars. We're in a situation where the provincial government still hasn't paid its bills uh, for over $80 million in our 2018 capital budget. Uh, you know, we're doing, we're doing what we can in a very tight fiscal environment, and aquatics in St. Boniface is important to me. And I want to be making the right decisions. I'm normally not a fan of suggesting, you know, studying something again or going back and doing another report. But is there room for it, you think, here, Councillor Allard, to take one oh, well, last crack at this? Or does, is the vote well, tomorrow going to be just, no, we're, we're shutting it down? You know, I wish I could say, let's go, to the, let's go back to the drawing board again. But we've known since May this is the second administrative report. The first one uh, had a million dollars pegged for replacement am- amenities for the neighbourhood. The neighbourhood really wants its pool. And I understand that, and I recognize that. And uh, if I, if there was a way, I would be exploring that option. But I was straight up in May when uh, when I said I didn't believe a new pool would be on the table, given the fact St. Boniface already has four of the ten outdoor and heated pools in Winnipeg. And uh, you know, frankly, I've got 15 colleagues on council, and uh, many of them don't have an outdoor pool themselves. So, you know, it's. Uh, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. It's a terrible situation. And for that reason, um, I'm going to ask my colleagues, you know, grudgingly, I'm going to ask them to support the administrative recommendation, which... Um, are you still there? I, I'm hearing yep. a beep. No, you're, we've still uh, got yeah, you, okay. Matt. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grudgingly ask them to support the recommendation. It is $150,000, but because of the mill rate supports the pool, it's basically budget neutral this year. And and I wish I didn't have to, but that's you know unless unless significant external funding comes forward to reopen the conversation with my colleagues, I'm I'm going to be grudgingly supporting that recommendation. I know we're up against the clock, so we're going to have to go here. But something that keeps coming into my head really quickly, Monique, is there any contemplation about the, your group asking the city if they'll hand over the the facility facility to you and you operate it as a nonprofit? There are still options available to us. But we need time. You can't just, once this is demolished, right. there is no going well, back. Well, because it's a million plus dollars to replace it. And and even, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you're erasing it from the landscape. We're saying, 
Let's talk more about this. There are more studies to be done. The pool structure has not been uh, verified. We do not know that it is faulty. We haven't studied the permeability of the soil to see if it can be dewatered at a lower cost. The city just has it in its head to close the pool, and we really need to stop it. Monique Lacoste spearheading efforts to save the Norwood Pool and Councillor Matt Allard joining us on the phone. Thank you very much, Councillor Allard. We appreciate the access. Thanks, thanks, everyone. And Monique, thank you for coming to visit us today. We appreciate it as well. Thanks. We start this hour, though, with the question of the day, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Will you be watching the State of the Union tonight? And your answers at cjob.com are, yes, because I am interested, yes, because it will be on every station, (laughs) or no, I want nothing to do with it. Log on to cjob.com and cast your vote. And Greg, it's time to check in with our pal in Washington. Reggie Cicchini joins us now, Global's own. And Reggie, I suspect you'd be paying attention to this even if you didn't have to speak to numerous radio stations across the country and report on it on television. Uh, Are you fascinated to see what actually takes place tonight? I'm fascinated for a number of reasons. Number one, because, you know, this is just another opportunity to see how President Trump uh, deals with taking, you know, a primetime hour and delivering a message. But I'm also interested because the optics of this speech are going to be incredible with the simple fact that he's got Nancy Pelosi sitting over his shoulder while he reads this speech, looking out over a room that's filled with many more women that have been in that room since he started giving these speeches two years ago. The optics, too, are about the timing of this speech. It's occurring during this three-week reprieve of sorts. They're trying to figure out what's going on and what might happen next to permanently end the shutdown. Does that play into what he might say tonight, then? Absolutely. I mean, look, he came from a a shutdown which tanked his numbers, uh, his likability, his job approval numbers uh, as they came out of that shutdown. He has a shutdown looming in 10 days over that border wall and border funding. Democrats have already said, look, we're not going to give you dollar one to build any kind of wall. Recent polling out there shows that uh, the large majority of people don't want these walls, like seven in 10 non-whites, 56 percent of college educated whites. These are people that are outside of Trump's 40 percent base, but it's a large number outside of his base. So he's got a very small percentage that he's going to try to talk to about this shutdown, about why the wall is necessary, but a much larger portion of the people watching sit there and don't believe what he has to say. Yet, Reggie, the White House is saying that President Trump will call for optimism and unity tonight. Well, that's what we're hearing from aides. You know, there is going to be some kind of optimistic tone from the president. Look, the uh, the economy continues to chug along. Job creation, despite the fact that numbers are being rejigged here and there for how we ended the year in 2018 and how 2019 started off because of the shutdown. At the end of the day, jobs are growing and the economy is moving along. And the president does get some props for that, building on what President Obama did a number of years ago. Uh, we're also going to hear the president apparently say that he intends to use bipartisan support to eradicate HIV by 2030. These are things that the president is going to try to bring the room together, but the large focus of this speech is going to be on border security and whether or not there is or is not a crisis at the southern border. Reggie Giacchini, uh, as always, whenever I global global news, Trump, anything in this case, global news, State of the Union is a virtual sea of headlines, an avalanche of headlines. And front and center at globalnews.ca, the headline is, Will Trump keep his 2019 State of the Union promises? He didn't keep many from last year. Any examples pop to mind from what he didn't keep from last year? 
Well, I mean, look, the wall was a big speech uh, thing that he was tried to get built, and it hasn't been built. There are some things that he did accomplish. He did accomplish tax reform. He did accomplish uh, uh, criminal justice reform. He has been able to stack the bench with judges. I think that's what we want to focus on right now is what the president did do, because that's what we're going to hear him talk about. The president isn't going to focus on things that he didn't get accomplished or that he may be in the process of getting accomplished, um, potentially more on the foreign policy front uh, if he decides to go into that tonight. 2019 promises, I think the one thing that we're going to look at is him talking about uh, potential summits with North Korea's Kim Jong-un. There's supposed to be a summit that takes place at the very end of the month, and uh, if that moves forward, it will be a promise that he said that he would make and that he has kept. Those are the things to focus on right now. The president kind of says things here and there. He changes his attitude. He changes his agenda. He changes his mind very frequently. So the goalpost constantly gets moved as to whether or not he has a promise made or a promise kept. Double-edged sword for Stacey Abrams, who will deliver the Democratic rebuttal and, and message following the State of the Union, typically doesn't go well for those in that position, Reggie. No, and this is an interesting choice for the Democrats to go for. It's the first time an African-American female is going to be delivering this uh, this rebuttal to what the president has to say. This is somebody who garnered national attention when she was running for that gubernatorial position in uh, in Georgia last year. She didn't win it. There were calls of voter suppression, things that could have potentially lifted her. But the Democrats are saying, look, this is somebody that could potentially be a Senate uh, possibility in 2020. This is somebody that may be uh, helping to shape what our party is. Stacey Abrams, while she doesn't have maybe a lot of credibility when it comes to foreign policy. She's going to use domestic policy to be able to talk to the president. She's also going to be able to use identity politics. And instead of saying to marginalized groups, uh, look, I'm talking to you alone and you alone, she'll take each of those groups and put them under the umbrella to say you as individuals can come together and we can form this new united front as a Democratic Party to go after Republicans and after the president. At the end of the day, Reggie, these State of the Union addresses are pretty typical, like their speeches, they're they're written, there's a teleprompter, and so a lot of speculation goes into them. But has Trump in the past two, he's done wavered far from script? Like, are we putting too much expectation into him potentially going off on a tangent when that hasn't been the case for his past ones? It is possible, yeah. Look, the, the, the State of the Union, it's, it's a constitutionally mandated address to, to Congress and, and how things move uh, to the country. But the president takes certain things important. And, and when you look at something like the, uh, like the State of the Union, it's historical. It has meaning. It has pomp and circumstance. These are things that the president kind of attaches himself to because there's a big meaning to them. So we may hear him veer off script just a little bit, but this isn't a campaign rally. And this isn't one of these like nine o'clock uh, uh, kind of primetime addresses that he's making from the Oval Office on one topic. I think the president, from what we've heard from White House aides, he's giving his input into this speech. There's a lot of kind of uh, office uh, uh, help when it comes to drafting what the words are and what the tone is going to be. I think we're going to watch the president speak mostly to script, veering off ever so slightly, but he has a message he wants to get across, and I think he needs to be reading those words directly if he wants to get that message out there. Global's Reggie Cicchini joining us live from Washington. Thank you very much, sir. Much appreciated. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. McNabb was at the Justin Timberlake show last night, the Man of the Woods tour, Bell MTS Place. First of all, McNabb, he didn't hit the stage till nine o'clock. It was nine, just after nine, five after nine. Yeah, there was an opening act. There was, and I didn't go for I, go for that. But coming from home, and we went and had uh, some supper with some friends, and then 
I got to the concert just before nine. So we had heard that that was going to be the time. But once I learned that, I was like, oh boy, I'm in for it tonight. Like, I'm tired. You're usually, you know, counting sheep by and then. And it's the first time I was very happy there was no encore. Like, he ended the concert with Can't Stop This Feeling, and it was over. And then the lights came on, and there was no extra cheers for him. But I had a really great time. And I think that if you like Justin Timberlake, what you like about him is how uh, much of a performer he is. So it's a supremely choreographed performance. Uh, from start to finish, I'd argue that the only downfall of that is that I don't know if there's any spontaneity at all in what he does. Like even the parts where he addresses Winnipeg or talked about how cold it was and and got the t- crowd cheering felt well placed and well timed for when it, that was supposed to work. But but from start to finish, that crowd was on their feet. First of all, I it had the best greatest stage I have ever seen in a concert in that it we wove through the whole floor. So he was at all points in that arena. So everybody got a chance to be closer to Timberlake than they may have thought they were going to be because of their seats. Then he had this thing I was telling you guys about in the six o'clock hour where there's a bar built in the middle and they were serving drinks. I don't know if they were serving drinks for the whole concert, but I think they were. And at one point when he came up and sang uh, that song, uh, Oh, not the Tennessee whiskey one, but, you know, he did a shot and then and then he danced on the bar and people were loving that. And the song that we just played, which is from his most recent album, everyone always, always worried, or at least I was, that I was going to go and be like, oh, I don't know any of these new songs. Like, play sexy back again. Like, you know, and... and Take a care of this Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> play crazy change. So uh, that's what happens. You go to these shows, and I know, Greg, you had said that was some of the criticism the last time he was here, that people just... No, the last tour that, that didn't come here. That Sorry. was the Yeah, that was the big criticism, that he went super heavy on the new stuff, right. and it disengaged people by the time the show was halfway over, there were people leaving because he went so heavy on the new stuff at the beginning of the so show. So he played a lot of um, hits like this one here. Uh, he played them differently. Like he didn't, it wasn't just him performing them like he did in 2007 when that was the probably his most popular album. So it was a little bit different. They weren't always as long. There was maybe two times where I was like, I don't know what this song is. Is this, is this bathroom break time? But but other, but but ninety nine percent of it, I was highly entertained. So, and again, the tickets were expensive. I don't think it was a sellout. Like there were certainly uh, tickets available. I counted available. last night. I counted last night. There were four hundred and fifty tickets left around right. six six thirty last so night. So I was in the last row of section two hundred two. So that's just below the where the boxes are, and we paid one seventy each. That's a lot of money for a concert. But you didn't have to drive to Minneapolis. And because he moved all over the stage, you really didn't feel like you were stuck in the back with this pricey ticket. I don't know what floor seats cost. But, they were up to 450 bucks, yeah, I think. Yeah, I would argue people down there got got their money's worth and then some. I mean, he went onto the floor and then had like a whole dance pad that looked like a Tetris dance thing that he was doing a whole routine on. And people were just standing there like they were at a, you know, in New York and someone's dancing in Central Park with a little couple moves. So he's a happy person. He makes you happy to watch. And even just hearing his songs, I'm like, yeah, there he is. Good stuff, JT. Well, good for you for going to the show on a Monday night. I was in bed by nine o'clock, so... Ah, I'm a bit bit of a wimp, I suppose. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Maroon 5 at the Super Bowl. Adam Levine at one point takes his shirt off, and now many are screaming double standard. With more on this, here's the shift with Drex and CKNW's Jody Vance. Let's talk about Adam Levine's nipples. Not something I really want to have a conversation about Jody Vance, but uh, they're there. We all saw them. Um, and a lot of people like them. And let's be honest, a lot of people like uh, Janet Jackson and think she's attractive as well. And uh, we all lost our minds some, geez, some 15 years ago when there was one nipple slipped on CBS 
at the uh, Super Bowl, but barely a peep about Adam Levine shirtless. That was my first thought, Jax, i got to tell you. Um, I was not offended by Janet Jackson's nipple. Um, I was shocked at the fallout. I mean, it imploded her career for a good junk, chunk of time. Oh, yeah. And uh, how it was all managed and handled and the whole Justin Timberlake, what was supposed to happen, why it happened, why didn't it. I think we've come a long way in terms of what we see on network television. Uh, but as you said, 15 years later, um, but when watching the Super Bowl halftime and Adam Levine proceeded to kind of Chippendales himself a little bit, mm. you know, woohoo, tattoos, nipples, there you go, <laughs> America, there's your halftime show. Yay, California. But exactly. Well, I mean, had the Rams been leading by a significant amount, there would have been a huge cheer of the California. But it just, to me, I, I just thought, how hypocritical is this? And thus, I threw out a tweet with a typo, because you can't edit on Twitter. I said, all right, it's fine. It lives. And now it's everywhere. It's being retweeted like crazy. Because honestly, double standard much? Let's talk about this. Cameron Poitras is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Fortier. And of course, Macklin McGarry and McNabb. McNabb, I want to start with you. What's your reaction to the the controversy over this so-called double standard? I'm annoyed that it's being called a controversy because I don't think there's a controversy. What I do no. like is that I think that it makes a good point of like we shouldn't have freaked out 15 years ago or 14 years ago, which is also crazy. It's been that long. But, yeah. but I, there, was, there was no need for a freak out there. That was a stunt as our all Super Bowl halftime show. And I, I don't mind the point being made of like, yeah, like he takes his shirt off. She shows a nipple. What are we freaking out about? But I don't like that it's turned in, like to a pseudo outrage thing. That kind of that kind of stuff annoys me. Well, well always has bugged me is the fact that it was Justin Timberlake who physically removed the breastplate right. of her costume. He performed at the Super Bowl last year. She got way more heat over that situation than he ever did, and he was the one responsible for exposing her breast. It 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 reeks of double standard all over. They're all the doing place. it for the same reason as to get and an exposure, and I don't mean it in the way that sounds. Like they want they want people to be talking about them, and so here we are. And I think more sadly for Adam Levine, we're talking about the fact that he took his shirt off and his nipples rather than whether or not he had a good show, which turned out to be the case for Janet Jackson and Timberlake a little bit, but it was still a great show. I, 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 if someone wants to take their shirt off, man or woman, go for it. You're allowed to in this country. Except if you're a man, you don't get a ticket from it from the police for taking your shirt off, whereas if you did it, Lorena, on the street, you would. No, I'm not. You can't charge me in Canada for taking my shirt off on the street. No. Somebody might. Well, they should. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of all this? I I think it's a reach to call it a controversy. I think it's just the Twitter people get all angry about something and then it, uh, for some reason, becomes news. You know, I I, I think if if you're trying to, like, present, uh, I mean, you're looking back 15 years. Right. Uh, I, I think it's the, the conversation the people on Twitter are trying to say. It's like it happened in the same broadcast. Like, well, she showed her nipple and then he did. And, you know, he there was uh, no heat against him. So that, that, that's kind of the way I'm kind of looking at it. It's a, it's a much different world 15 years ago. Uh, I, I agree with uh, with Greg there about uh, Justin Timberlake and stuff like that. He didn't get any heat whatsoever. I think maybe a little bit, but not compared to Janet Jackson. But it, they were trying to create controversy at the time because it was it would have been a controversial thing. But today, if that happened, I don't think it would be like, I mean, we got HBO and stuff nowadays. I don't think it'd be that big of a deal. It well, still it, would be, but yeah, right? so? I, yeah, 
And the, the, the reason why, why there was such a controversy then, too, is the FCC received over half a million complaints. Granted, it was, there was a lot of theories that it was an organized complaint, but still, a half a million, they had to respond and find CBS. But I never liked the fact that Janet Jackson was the only one who got demonized for it, even if it was, I think maybe part of the problem was that they tried to call it a wardrobe malfunction. Come on. It was a, clearly a stunt. Just own it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he ripped that thing off. Yeah, yeah. it didn't fall off. <laughs> I, I don't know how many women, and you can text me and correct me that I'm wrong, that put the star tassels over their breasts for nobody to see them. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the just-in-case star tassel? Now, lots of people wear nice lingerie and don't expect anyone to see them, sure. so it's very possible that that's her thing. But it's Part of her daily routine? Daily star tassel routine. I'm calling but, unlikely. But, but what, what I like about what this conversation has created is this notion, like I... To call it a double standard, I don't think that's the case because they're not. You can't compare the two. They're, it's not an apples to apples situation. Yeah. You go to the beach. Not in our society, guys are walking no. around with their shirts off all the time. Right. So we're clearly not at a point yet where we're where we're ready to say a woman topless is the same as a man topless. But is the time to start that conversation? Well, they're and laughing at us in Europe, right? Yeah, now, right? I, was, I was just about to say that. Like, is there like here in North America? You know, to see a breast, you know, it's like, whoa, oh my God. But when you go to Europe, you know, you see one and nobody blinks an eye. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Well, to Jess' point, you just said I would get a ticket, and he's actually right. I was just looking at this now. Somebody challenged the law in Ontario in the 90s, and it's never since been challenged again because she won, but there's no actual law on it. So it varies from province to province, but it sounds like it's more of like a morality thing than it is a legal thing. So I'm wrong. And here's another text. Uh, This is a great point at 204-780-6868. No one cared about the Chili Peppers having no shirts on in the 2014 halftime show. Why care this year? And that's a great point. And uh, and Loren, you said you hate controversy. A handful of people go throw their arms up on Twitter, and suddenly it's a big thing. Everyone, everybody just is in a race to get mm-hmm. on Twitter and express their outrage about whatever. And show it's a how- deflection on the part of the what's the guy's name, the Maroon Five guy that took his shirt off. Adam, yeah, Adam. Levine. What we should be talking about is his one tattoo that just says California. Yeah, so also- kind of a stupid tattoo is that? I, 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 have one one that I have one that says Winnipeg, Jeff. I, I was fixated on that for my, like a while, too. I was like, what does this mean that he needed to have this That there? is some lazy tattoo. Like, oh, what, do you, what do you want? Uh, just what state are we in? California. California. Yeah, that's a good tattoo. I think he's from there. But yeah, it's not that I hate controversy. I hate controversy for the sake of making it into something. And I think we need to pause and look and say, how many people are really upset about this? And Nobody then, is upset. And do they actually care or decide they're going to be? I think we shouldn't be talking about it because I think you should take your top off. <laughs> Keep taking your top off, Adam Levine. That's a consensus here at the start. Not for him. Everybody. Tops off everywhere. Woo! Jeff Braun, Cameron Poitras, Jeff Forte. Thank you. Yesterday, I got to do something I have not yet had the opportunity to do during my radio career. I love to read month. Have you ever done this, Greg? Yeah, plenty of times. It's it's the best. Where have you done it's it? It's fantastic. Oh, gosh. Schools? Yeah, schools. Yeah. <laughs> Mackling? Schools, yes. McNabb? Yeah, it's been, I've never done it anything else besides the school if I was thinking about it yesterday. And yeah, I, I everything from kindergarten up to... Grade six or seven, I think. Yeah, so when I was asked to go to the children's hospital, I just, I had this this sort of picture in my head where I'd be sitting in front of a room of children. Sure. And I had been told that it would be, that it would be on camera as well, and then that would be piped into a closed circuit TV system, CHTV. So 
I just had that sort of image in my head. And when I got to the children's hospital yesterday, I learned that was not, in fact, the case. I was brought into a little TV studio. So it was just me, Stephanie, the host, and No Name the Sock Puppet. Why is he called No Name? Well, it's actually, he likes to go by No Name the Magnificent. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So kind of a name. I, I, I told him that he needs a cape, and he said, you're just, he's, says, you're just full of good ideas today, Brett. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I, I read a couple of books by Mo Willems, mm. and one of them is The Pigeon Needs a Bath. Now, if you want to see some highlights on this, I put a couple on my Instagram story, but CHF Manitoba, their Instagram has all the pictures and video uh, that you would want to see. And I also saw some video of Merrick DeCash from Global was there. I saw some of it on Global News Morning, so hopefully they'll pop that online. But here's a clip from The Pigeon Needs a Bath. I don't know if you've noticed, but the pigeon is filthy. So I could use your help because the pigeon needs a bath. Oh, but the pigeon down here says that is a matter of opinion. So because this is my first time, I was nervous already because, A, I don't have children, so I'm super awkward around kids. Sounded great, man. And honestly, that's not a, like, I have kids and I get nervous every time I go to read at a school because they're they're used to, like, their teachers are great. Yeah. And you got to step up your game when you get in there. Well, and they're judgy. Yeah. (laughs) Why why aren't you doing the voices? I can't see the pictures. Madame so-and-so does it better. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe that's why it was awkward because I didn't have that feedback. It was just me. So I was... I like I was on camera, but then when it was time to read the book, they zoomed in just on the book. So I had to make sure that I was holding the book still, that I wasn't getting my hands in the way of the pictures, and that. And then when I'm trying to flip the pages, there were a couple of pages that wouldn't flip. So I had to stop and say, "Sorry, the pages are stuck together." <laughs> so I don't know how many people are watching the CHTV in the hospital, uh, but then I got I did get to get quite animated. There was an elephant and piggy book called We are in a book. More jokes. More bananas. (laughs) So I had a lot of fun doing this. And uh, it was just a great experience. And they, they, we also played bingo. So uh, I helped Stephanie with bingo. And then kids from somewhere in the hospital got to call into the TV studio. And No Name was answering the call. But they also had this Good Bear phone. And... So it's a phone, but mm-hmm. then you, when you answer this phone, the bear talks to you. But it's like you, if you call me on the good bear phone and I answer it, it's your voice coming out of the good bear while its eyes are lighting up oh, and cool. its face is moving. And I thought, I want that in my home. I want that to be my phone. <laughs> that is really neat. So it was neat. And uh, CHTV, by the way, they have their next book market the Children's Hospital book market is April 25th to the 27th at St. Vitale Center, and they need books to help with their next sale. And the books or the, the proceeds from that will go towards things like keeping CHTV in operation. It's been going for 36 years. It broadcasts every day to all inpatient rooms, clinics, and waiting areas. And it, it, I, I wish I had brought, uh, I mean, you, you can donate books to any Dufresne or Fire Hall for this. But I've got a tub of books sitting at home because I'm getting ready to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I know exactly where they're going. Fantastic. The, the CHTV thing is really cool because it's uh, it's not like just saying, oh, you can put Treehouse on or Disney Channel for kids, right? Like they really do specific stuff. 
that helps kids who might be going through an ongoing lengthy illness or specifically for cancer and talks to them about needles and they use the puppets for all sorts of really cool things, right? So I just think it's a, I didn't even know it existed until a few years ago and I thought, what a great idea for these kids who, who need to relate in a different way to certain things that are going on in their lives. When I was about six, they didn't have this, but I was in Children's Hospital for a month. Oh my. And I was fortunate enough that my mom and my dad were in a situation where my mom would come and she actually slept in a chair every night for a month. And then my dad or my one of my grandparents would come and then my mom would go home and get cleaned up and come back. But they always would bring a puzzle or a game. I can remember my dad and I building a model. You can't understand what it's like to be a little kid in a hospital unless you've been there. And for them to have that interaction with something that's just for them, it is super special. So shout out to the folks at Children's Hospital who uh, thought of this and maintain it 36 years later. Here's to another 36 years or more. Greg? We talk a lot about mental wellness on this show. And February, there's an entire month dedicated to psychology. Yeah, it's also heart month. So it's nice that where the matters of the heart and matters of the mind can sort of combine. They are the kind of our core of our being. And to celebrate Psychology Month, the MPS has organized a variety of educational seminars for the public on a wide variety of psychology-related topics. Dr. Joanne Unger is Manitoba Psychological Society President. She joins us again in studio. It's always great to have you in the studio with us, Dr. Unger. And what have you got planned for this month? I, I mentioned to you when I saw you, Busy enough for you, yeah, uh, kind of a play on the cold enough for you. <laughs> Apologize for that, but this is a busy time for you yeah, and, and, and the work that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a great time. Um, started in 2005. It's actually a national uh, month, so psychologists from across the country are organizing talks to, um, you know, as a way to give back to the community, to provide some psychological information to folks, as well as to raise awareness for the role of psychology and how what it plays in our lives. Um, lots of topics. We've got some good ones for parents. So we've got the picky eating and how some strategies for how to help with that. Um, they have two sessions, actually, a daytime one and an evening one. And all the information and the details can be found at our website, uh, www.mps.ca, as well as our Facebook page. Um, there's also one on sleeping for kids, and there's also one on sleeping for adults. Yeah, it's interesting you've got both. So yeah. obviously that's something, and we hear this all the time, but it's the first thing that we'll let slide, I think, when it comes to physical health, but yeah. then your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. So what we know uh, from psychology uh, research and other research as well is that our physical and our mental health are intrinsically linked. Um, so the things that we do, we were just talking about, you know, stress eating mm-hmm. and and our physical health and exercise and sleep are all connected to our physical well-being, but also our mental well-being because we, our mind is housed in a body and, and they're connected to each other. So absolutely, uh, sleep is a very common uh, problem that people have, things that, you know, we don't necessarily pay attention to. We leave to the last minute. I often uh, see folks who, um, you know, just don't pay attention to what they're doing with their sleep. So that's my talk. That's how I can talk about this. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? <clears throat> so we run around all day long and then it's bedtime and then we turn off the lights and lie down. And we expect our mind and body to just go to sleep. Then. Well, I don't have time for yeah, anything else. No, so. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we develop these really nice routines for kids in terms of, you know, bedtime routine right. of how to settle and get our mind and body ready for sleep. We don't do that as adults. We need it just as much as kids do. 
So that's one of the one of the things we will be talking about in the talk um, in terms of how do you let yourself get ready and settle and uh, take care of yourself. Well, and conversely, a lot of us have poor, if we have a routine, it's by accident and it's a poor one. <clears throat> right. We're listening to something or watching something or eating something. Why are you going to be like that? Can I do all three of those things and still yes. fall asleep? Well, yes, and then you might wake up. Right, a lot during the night. So sometimes we'll kind of drift off in this kind of weird, hazy <laughs> experience of uh, falling asleep, um, and then um, we wake up a bunch of times at the night because we haven't, you know, fallen asleep in a nice, relaxed way. Now Is, the picky eating thing. I wanted to just go back to yeah. that for a moment. The fact that there's a full seminar. So this goes beyond kids just like I don't, I don't like beans. Get those away. This there's more to it than that. Well, it, sometimes it starts that way. So um, kids with um, uh, picky eating habits, you know, it kind of catching them early is really helpful because what can happen is uh, they can get more and more restrictive with their diet until it becomes a problem around nutrition. So um, I'm not doing this talk, but I know myself and the dietitian um, at the place where I work at the uh, Access Winnipeg West, we often do this talk as well. Um, and so it's a combination of providing good parenting strategies, sorry, parenting strategies uh, for parents to learn how to address that. Um, I don't want to eat this. Um, with having the information of a dietitian to say, yeah, it's okay to um, set some limits around what your kid is eating and they're not going to starve, right, in terms of not making a meal for every person in the family at well, night. Well, because that's a big stress. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it could be a, a bigger, you, it, it maybe doesn't have to be as big a stress as it is because I think yeah. some parents get overworked about the idea yeah. of, oh, my kid's not easing. And I'm very fortunate my kids are not super picky. Yeah. But there are, uh, from time to time, there are meal times when they go, oh, I'm not hungry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what do you mean? It's time to eat supper. Yeah. Or and you like say, where's all the four food groups or whatever the new Canada yeah. food guide right yeah. recommendation might be. But conversely to that, you, I, I, I grew up with uh, friends who had, uh, you'd go there for supper and the mom, that poor mom would make four different kinds of spaghetti, like one with the sauce, one without the sauce, one with butter, one without onions. And and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like this, and she was doing it to be kind. Like I'm yeah, not knocking. Absolutely. And so you find your, so one kid doesn't like this. And so you don't give him that. And the other yeah. kid does, but yeah. then you're, you are making four different meals to acquiesce yeah. to all these little demands. Yeah. And so the strategy is, you know, generally people develop tastes over time. And so, you know, it takes a number of bites of trials to, I don't know, do you guys, have you guys ever changed what you like yeah. over time? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's about exposure. So you keep exposing. <laughs> My answer was no. Was no. no. <laughs> yeah. I have a whole bunch of things that I did not eat as a kid that I eat as an adult. Yeah, for sure. Right? And so it's about exposure to those things um, over time um, and recognizing that if your kid misses a meal, they'll be fine. We get that dietitian to say that because she has the expertise to do that, right? That, you know, your kid will be fine if they miss a meal and that hunger fluctuates with, you know, growth spurts and times of day and when they're hungry, they'll eat. Oh, and the, you know, <laughs> the whole, I'm starving. I went through it yesterday. It's like, I'm literally, and this is the proper use of that word, walking into the kitchen to pull out what I need to make supper. And I've got Brendan, Dad, I'm starving. Can I have some cereal? I'm like, no, I'm making supper right now. No, but it's not going to be ready right now. And dealing with that whole idea, because kids see things as, 
I don't know if it's if it's crises or but the, <laughs> that 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 instant gratification seems yeah. to be so much more yeah. important to them. Am I dealing with unusual or an, a usual child in that instance? How old is the child? Twelve. <laughs> Probably bra- rather usual, and I think to recognize. So this is something we talk about too. With the um, so for some folks, parents struggle with. Um, the emotional discomfort that their child is in. And it is very natural to want to relieve that, right? So so they're distressed by being hungry and you want to go, oh, well, that's uncomfortable. Let me, let me help you with that discomfort. And we don't recognize that delayed gratification is something that people learn over time by delaying their gratification. They don't learn it by giving in to everything all the time and that it's not a they're not really starving, right? They're really, really hungry. And so helping them recognize that. And so part of the workshop that I offer, it talks about what do you deal with yourself as a parent with the discomfort of the emotion in your child, right? Because that's hard on us when we watch our kid say, no, I don't want to eat this and have a temper tantrum. We just want to make it stop. But how do you recognize that that actually in the long run isn't really helpful to your child in terms of helping them learn how to regulate their own emotion and delay gratification. Oh, I feel so much better having a psychologist use the word temper tantrum, mm-hmm. like that they're they're normal and usual. <clears throat> We're so hard on ourselves it's in this day and age when no it comes to parenting, s- right? There's no such thing as a perfect parent. does not exist on the planet. Well, <laughs> We can all learn. Close. <laughs> There's close. <laughs> I'd like to meet that person. So yeah, that's not me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about sleep, we're talking about picky eaters, about <clears throat> mindfulness. This is all part of psychology yeah. month. I'm curious, is February chosen for a reason? You know, we talk about in January that blue is blue Monday or whatever the day is that falls on in this time of year. So is February a specific choice? You know what? I or, don't have that. I wish I had that information. If more, if more this time of year yep. comes with that feeling of like, I... I I got blue in January, and now yep. I, now I'm kind of seeing the light, and I want to do better. Yeah, and I want to be better. Yeah, I don't have the information on that. Your logic is very sound. Let's go. With uh, it then. Fe- February is tough for a lot of people because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know the holidays are over. Um, the sunlight is starting to come back, which is kind of nice, but the cold has not in our province, so. Um, it feels like it's still a long way to spring. So it's helpful to have things to do in the winter. That's something that's really healthy, right? We can get caught in staying in our homes. So Psychology Month offers you a way to get out. Uh, you're still warm. You're doing something good for yourself um, and staying active. Yeah, so I didn't finish. There's a, a mindfulness workshop you had mentioned, um, you know, how we were talking about being busy and how we can use mindfulness to help us feel more connected to ourselves and to our lives. Um, something on uh, a topic on um, including compassion and dignity in the use of applied behavior analysis, which is a specific uh, evidence-based approach to treating individuals on the autism spectrum. And I think I've gotten them all. MPS.ca has the full list of the yeah. seminars, where they're happening, when they're happening, and you can get all the information there. Once again, the website, MPS.ca. It's the Manitoba Psychological Society, and the president is our guest, Dr. Joanne Unger, as February is Psychology Month. Dr. Unger, thank you for the visit. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.